Let us then return to our Bibles and let us go to Luke chapter 18. I want to focus upon uh, the first part here, verses 1 to 8, the parable about the importune widow. There can be no doubt what this parable is about because Jesus tells us right there at the very beginning. He spake a parable unto them to this end. These words have been inserted by the translators to this end, but that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Therefore, we're not left in any doubt about the main thrust of this parable. It's clear It's evident. And here Jesus is addressing first and foremost his disciples. The title I want to give to our meditation this evening is A Demanding Widow. A Demanding Widow. And in this parable, it's a parable of an importune widow, and Christ teaches his disciples the importance of persevering in prayer. The importance of persevering in prayer. Prayer is a vital subject of the Christian life. And we might well say that we will not make progress unless we know something of this prayer that's outlined for us here. The kind of prayer of the widow who would not give up until her case was addressed by the unjust judge. Interesting, for those of you who are interested in biblical facts, in the Gospel according to Luke, he refers to widows more than all the other Gospel writers combined. He was a physician, and maybe he saw some of the hardships that afflicted widows 2,000 years ago, and he was inspired to write about them. Because for us to really understand this parable that Jesus uttered here, it is necessary for us to be transported some 2,000 years ago back to Palestine, at least in our minds, that we might set the scene and that we might set the context of this parable. Because when Jesus uttered it to his disciples, they would be well aware of the things that I'm going to highlight to you in my introduction. As far as the law was concerned, this this is not ideal, we admit But as far as the law was concerned, it was the judge, not the law, that set the agenda. It should be the other way around. And God does speak about the judge being a just judge and dealing with matters correctly according to the law of God. But very often that did not happen at all. It was the judge, therefore, not the law that set the agenda. And we might dispense from our minds 
instantly that there would be no great elaborate law court where the judge sat. Instead it would be something like a, a portable tent. And there the judge would be in the tent and he might have an assistant or a couple of assistants outside. And before the case ever got to the judge, those who wanted their case heard would have to get past the assistants first. And very often in order to get past the assistants, in order that your case may land, if you like, on the judge's desk, a bribe had to be given to the assistants. That's the way it operated. Not ideal, not according to the word of God, but that's very often the way it was. Here, for instance, we have an unjust judge, something that should not have happened. And for a widow to get her case before a judge would be quite difficult. 2,000 years ago, a woman was a second-class citizen. She had very few, even none, legal rights, as it were. It would be difficult for a woman to get her case before a judge at all. It would be especially difficult for a widow. She would have no man to represent her. And being a widow, she would have no money. And she wouldn't be able to pay a bribe to the assistant or the assistants. It just would not be possible for her. She would invariably be a poor individual. All of this would stack against the widow having her case heard in the court at all. That's the context. And that's the context that the Lord Jesus Christ sets out this parable in order to teach his disciples that they might continue and persevere in prayer. Well, there's a couple of things I wish to highlight with you for your edification tonight, and we seek the Lord's blessing uh, as we do so. First of all, there is something to do. Something to do. We take that from the very first verse, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray. He's talking here about believers, or at least he is talking to believers. Ought always to pray. This is something that should, in some sense, be natural for the believer to pray. This is something that we are to do every day. This is something that, properly understood, we are to do all throughout the day. Now, let's be clear about this matter. We're not talking here about prayer meetings. We're not talking here about public prayer. We're not talking about the kind of prayer that a minister will offer up at a service like this. This is talking about private prayer. And possibly even more than closet prayer. It's talking about praying continually. Now we cannot pray continually in our closets and still have a normal uh, Christian life and experience. We have to be out in the world. We have to get engaged in things. We have employment to undertake and so on. There are things that we must undertake and do. But nevertheless, it's required of us 
that men ought always to pray. What's he talking about then? Well, he's certainly talking about as we go about our daily business. It is to be in regular communication with the Lord our God. We come across a certain situation. We offer up a prayer. We continue to do what we're doing, but we offer up a prayer. This is something that is to be natural and normal for the Christian. This is what all Christians ought to do. This is not reserved for the the super spiritual. Indeed, this is to be the pattern, the plan, the way of life for every single Christian. We are to be in an attitude of prayer continually. And we're not to think that we're talking about having 24 hours or overnight prayer meetings. That's not what it's talking about at all. We need to know something about this. That men ought always to pray. He goes on to say in verse 7, let us read it. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? Here he is giving us a sign. Here he is telling us that he has a people. And these people are known as the elect. They are the ones that he has chosen before the foundation of the world to be saved through the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these people are marked out as ones who are chosen. And what is the result of those who are chosen? Well, they cry out, we are told, day and night. They are people who are constantly in the attitude of prayer. Again, we must qualify this. And we must not be distracted We know that the the Pharisees loved to pray. They would do it in the street corners where they could be seen and heard. And therefore, not everyone who prays is of the elect. Not everyone who prays is of the elect. But what we can most certainly say That if we do not pray, then we are certainly not of the elect. That's a very sobering thought for us. Election is a mysterious truth. It is a mysterious doctrine. It brings wonderful comfort to the true child of God. He knows that his salvation has been brought about because... God has chosen him or her before the foundation of the world. It's marvelous. It's a mystery. It's deeply humbling. And the true Christian will know something about crying out to the Lord his God day and night. And the opposite is true. That if we do not know what it is to cry out to God day and night. And whatever we might claim to be, we cannot claim to be amongst that chosen ones, his sheep, his church, his people. This is something, therefore, 
that the true Christian does. And it marks him out. But he goes on. That men ought always to pray. Very often we're so inclined to think or we turn to prayer when we come across a, a difficult thing in our lives, a situation ha that has arisen that's beyond our control. We are perplexed. We are brought low. We're facing something that we cannot handle ourselves and we turn to God in prayer. Well, that's true and that's what should happen. But that should not always be the time when we turn to God in prayer. We are to be praying before God, to God, ought always. It is to be a way of life. It is to be like breathing. That's what prayer is to, to the Christian. It's just like breathing. You breathe every day. You breathe all day. You do it without noticing. You do it because you're human. You do it because you need it. So it is with prayer. This is what Jesus is teaching us here. Here, yes, certainly, there was a lady, a widow, a poor lady. She had a real concern. She was being pursued by an adversary. She had a real problem that needed to be dealt with. But Jesus is teaching us and using this example to remind us that there is something for us to do. We ought always to pray. We need to examine ourselves then, therefore, in the light of this teaching. Too many resort to prayer as, as the last resort when it is clear it should be first in our minds. It should be uppermost. Our communion and our fellowship with the Lord our God should be constant, continuous. This is something we are to practice every day, all day. Our minds are to be constantly gravitating towards our God in heaven. That he would help us, whatever we do, whatever we engage in, whether it be a difficulty, whether it be a trial, whether it be a joyful experience, whatever it is. We are ones who are completely and utterly dependent upon God. This surely is what he's teaching us here in this passage. What else can we derive? Well, secondly, there is something not to do. He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. As you might expect when you consult one or two commentators, there's always one who is, gives a slightly different edge and a slightly different interpretation even to a crystal clear passage like this. But one commentator departs from 
the traditional view that this is teaching us to continue in prayer in the sense that we're not to faint, that we're not to give up. We have a, we have a problem, we have a care, we have a concern, and we bring it before the Lord our God. And we continue with it. We don't give up. And the answer might take a long time coming. And during that time you're not to faint. You're to continue. You're to continue to call upon God. Believing that he hears and he will answer. And that is the common interpretation of this, of this um, parable here. And I'm not going to disagree with it. But someone else has given a slightly different interpretation. And although it may not... Uh, exactly expound this this parable yet the theology or the divinity is good now what is it well he basically takes the view as if you don't pray you will faint if you don't pray you will faint and he lines it up with the close of the previous chapter. Take, for instance, verse 37 of the previous chapter. That part of the previous chapter is concerned about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the disciples ask in verse 37, And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. This is a difficult expression to expound. But this commentator maintains that he's talking about the state of the world. He's talking about a a decaying world, a toxic world. And that's what it will be like when he returns. And we're all in this world. We are in this toxic world. We, ne- we may not be part of it in the sense that we're in heavily involved in it. But nevertheless, we're in the world. We have to live in the world. And because of that, we imbibe the atmosphere of the world. We imbibe the toxic atmosphere and influence of the world. We cannot avoid it. And if we will not pray day and night, calling upon God, we will faint. That's his interpretation. Now, whether you agree with that interpretation or not, as it relates to this passage, is another matter. But the truth contained in it is good. In order, friends, that we might make progress in our Christian lives, it's absolutely vital that we know something about being importune in prayer, not giving up. Because if we don't pray, we will be saturated and surrounded by the influences of the world. But if we call out to God in prayer, it is as if we are absorbing heavenly atmosphere. And we are being transformed even in this decaying world. We are being preserved and being transformed. That's what he would interpret it. Again I say to you, maybe you might not agree with his interpretation in relation to the parable. But the theology is good. And we are not 
to faint. We are to continue in prayer. We are to be ones who are instant in prayer in order that our, our spiritual life might blossom. How many of us are living barren Christian lives? It'll soon be our communion season. It'll soon be time to examine ourselves. How is our Christian life? Are we bearing fruit? Are we being transformed? The Christian is born again by the Spirit of God. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Can we see any evidence of the hope of glory in our lives? Maybe, friends, maybe we need to go back to the basics. Maybe we need to call upon God in prayer. Maybe we are being short with our prayers. Maybe we're not praying as often as we did. And when we do pray, there's not the same vibrancy or life or zeal or enthusiasm in our prayers. Have we forgotten that God hears prayer? Have we forgotten that God answers prayer? Do we not know that God had answered our prayer when we were saved in the Lord Jesus Christ? That men ought always to pray and not to faint. Maybe as we look at the, the orthodox, if you like, interpretation of this, of this passage, there is something that we want, there's something that we desire. We are to pray for it. We are to be consistent. And we are not to give up. Again, maybe it's worth giving some general observations about prayer. We're not to pray for things that are outside of His will. Or we're not to think that God will answer us if we pray for things that are outside of His will. This is, does not give us a license to ask for anything. I'm using a ridiculous example to highlight what I mean. But if we go and we buy a, a lottery ticket, which we shouldn't do, but if we go and buy a lottery ticket and we ask that God would bless it, He's not going to answer that prayer. It's not according to His will, is it? No, of course not. But friends, if you go to God and you've got a bad temper, if you go to God and you're swallowed up with your lusts, if you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, or if you're a gossip, or whatever, if you go to God with these complaints and tell Lord, take away this sin, give me a pure mind, give me a pure heart, give me a tongue that magnifies our great God, Take away sin from me. If we continue to pray along that lines, God will hear and God will answer. These are the things that we're to ask for. If we see the church languishing as it is today, and we cry out to the Lord our God, 
Come, Lord, send forth thy spirit. Come, Lord, send forth the blessing. Oh, if we're importuned concerning these things, God will hear. And we're not to give up. That's what he wants to teach us here. When we pray according to his will, he will answer. And we have wonderful encouragement in this portion of Scripture. What's the encouragement? Well, the lady was successful. The widow who had no money, who couldn't bribe the assistance. And she went before an unjust judge. And this unjust judge, because this woman was troubling him, He didn't fear God. He didn't fear man. He couldn't care less about this woman, but because she was troubling him, she was going to be heard. And our our prayer, if you like, was going to be answered. And the matter was going to be dealt with. See all these things. Do they not encourage the child of God? Who do we go before? We don't go before a judge. We go before our heavenly father. We have a wonderful assistant. We have the Lord Jesus Christ who intercedes on our behalf at God's right hand. Do you not see the encouragement? What is Jesus outlining here? Is he not showing the contrast between the unjust judge and how he deals with his woman? And how God who is just in all his ways and loving towards his people, will he not answer our prayers? Is that not a great encouragement? Of course it is. Therefore we are not to give up. You will have your cares. You will have your concerns. You might have rebellious children. You might have a spouse that's still in this world. You might have financial difficulties. You might have relationship problems. You might have medical problems, health issues. You'll certainly have sinful problems. And if you're growing in grace, you'll know more and more about them. And they'll become heavier and heavier upon your heart. What are you to do? You are to turn to God in prayer. You are to outline these things. You are to go before not a judge but your father. And you are to make these things known unto him. And you are to give him no rest. As it would teach us in Isaiah chapter 62. Does it not tell us these things? Give him no rest. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise of the earth. Is that not a wonderful encouragement to those who are concerned about the state of the professing Christian church today? We see all kinds of things going on in the church that should never be going on. We see it declining. We are in some sense as watchmen set upon the walls. We see the problems. We see the difficulties. What are we going to do? 
oh, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll organize a meeting here, we'll organize a weekend, weekend there, we'll organize this, we'll organize that. No, we're to cry out to the living God, give him no rest. And that's the way for the Christian with the things that are in your heart. And this is one way that defines a prayer. It's not so much words, but what's on your heart. What's really troubling you? Bring it to the Lord in prayer. Give him no rest. Be like this woman. She went before an unjust judge. You're going before a righteous father. A father who loves his children. A father who looks upon them, cares for them, knows them, knows the very hairs of their heads, that they are numbered. Who has a love that we cannot describe towards them. An everlasting love. A divine love. A perfect love. The love that we have as humans is tainted with sin, even the best of it. It's not perfect. But our God, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, loves with a perfect love. And that love never varies, never changes. Oh, our circumstances can change. And very often we look upon our position through providence and very often we get upset instead of looking at our lives and our situation through the everlasting love of God towards his people. Do you think that God's going to withhold something that's good from you? No. Therefore you are to go. The widow, she went before an unjust judge. She went to a law court. The Christian, he goes to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Does that not describe every single one of us? Every moment of every day of our Christian experience, we go to the throne of grace. We, grow, we go there to receive help in time of need. And is there ever a time when there's no need? Sometimes we have more needs than others, but all all the time we have need? Are we not living in a hostile world, in a hostile environment? Are we not surrounded by enemies? The widow was, in some, to some extent. She had no friend. She had no one to stand up for her. There was plenty around in her day who would love to take advantage of her. As we find even of the scribes and Pharisees, this is something that they would like to do. We have enemies. The world. The flesh. 
and our own sinful nature. And God wants to hear us coming to him and bringing these requests and being importune and not giving up. Oh, take away that bad temper I have. So often I fly off the handle. Someone says something to me and what happens? I'm away in a huff. Take away that bitter spirit, that that spirit that's always criticizing, that pride that sits upon our hearts. Take it away. Oh Lord, save me from my sins. That's what we're to pray for. We're to pray for our sanctification. And these are prayers that the Lord would love to hear and the Lord will love to answer. And we are not to be satisfied until we get that answer. This is what Jesus is impressing upon his disciples. Pray. Call out to the living God. Be like the demanding widow. With respect, of course. And you will succeed. And God will answer. And what's more, when you receive an answer, it only encourages you to go back for more. And God is one who is able to supply all our needs. Yes, we go for material things, temporal things. There's no harm in going for these things, but oh, Principally, it's spiritual matters. We want to grow in grace and to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus then told us this parable that men ought always to pray and not to faint. I don't know, but... I'm sure you're not that much different from me. We hear about prayer. We listen to a sermon like this, either at this pulpit or other places. And for a moment, for a day or two, a week or two, maybe it will stimulate us. Friends, we are to be like the widow. We are to pray. We are to persist. We are not to faint. We are to go on. Because there's far more of heaven to be found on earth than any of us has yet experienced. How are we going to get it? The only way, friends, is by calling upon God in prayer and giving him no rest. And being like this lady here, a demanding widow. Amen. And may God bless his word to us. Let us pray together.